Coming up on today's show, half of variable mortgage rate holders in Canada have already hit their trigger rate. We'll also tell you about sextortion. It's happening at an alarming rate. And Alberta has lowered the budget surplus projection. Just a bit. Well, it's a billion dollars, but percentage-wise, it's not that big. Still doing very well. Huge surplus. We'll have the details. Hey, for months we've been talking about the rising interest rates in this country and how it would have an impact on mortgages, and in particular those with variable rate mortgages. Well, now, in its latest report, the Bank of Canada estimates that half of Canadians that are carrying variable rate mortgages have already hit what's called their trigger rate, and that drastically changes the game. So let's find out how and why. We're going to chat with Dr. Murtaza Haider, a Toronto Metropolitan University data science and real estate management professor. Professor, thank you for joining us. I appreciate your time. My pleasure. Let's start. First of all, trigger rate. When the Bank of Canada says half of variable mortgage rates have hit their trigger rate, what exactly does that mean? Um, well, it means that, um, first of all, they, they qualified this estimate by saying it's an upper bound because it's based on the assumptions rather than actual numbers. Uh, but what it means is that if you had a variable uh, interest mortgage rate, with a fixed payment, and, and here's the distinction, uh, you can have a variable mortgage rate with variable mortgage payments, and you can uh, you could have a variable mortgage rate with a fixed payment. Uh, so those who have a variable mortgage rate with a fixed payment, the bank estimates that perhaps 50% of those mortgages, which would represent 13% of all mortgages in Canada, may have reached a trigger rate. And that trigger rate implies that that fixed payment that they had, even though their mortgage rate was variable, that payment may need to be increased as one of the alternatives, which means that your monthly mortgage payments, in the case of those individuals representing 13% of all Canadian mortgages, they may see an increase in their mortgage payments for one reason. And the reason is that the mortgage payment they were making is now covering only the interest payment and nothing is going towards um, the principal amount that is owed. When that happens, then um, the banks or the lending institutions um, have to do some things. One of the options is to increase your monthly mortgage payment so that some of the payment you make covers the principal amount you owe. Doctor, does that have to happen? Like if I'm a banker and I've got a position where somebody is just paying me interest every month and nothing is going down on the principal, that, that would be pretty advantageous for the banks to, is, is that written into the contract that they have to do something? There has to be something going to principal? I think it is written and we don't read the entire document. Right, yeah. Every mortgage um, contract has that trigger rate defined and explained. So, um, if the so so the so it's not just the interest like the bank does not necessarily would benefit because um, there are other risks involved in the uh, that would define the uh, the financial uh, stability or or the attractiveness of the asset um, that that could be a problem and the way these int- mortgage rates contracts are structured the amortization period is also of question so there's a limit to how far the banks could stretch the amortization periods to keep your mortgage payments fixed after such point where the increase in mortgage rates is higher than some level um, then there's no other option but to find creative ways one one option the bank doesn't necessarily have to 
in- ask you to increase your mortgage payment or force it upon you, mm-hmm. and I think they can. But they can also say, okay, you know, now you owe us more money. They can add it to your principal amount if your monthly payment is covering only the interest or not covering even the interest. But all of this is uh, uh, specified already in your contract, and maybe it's a good time to open up that contract and read up on it. Yeah. Will you be notified or is it sort of, hey, it, it's in the deal. You signed the deal. This is what's happening. Or will the bank uh, let you know what's going on? Can you negotiate with them or have you already signed the deal? Um, the banks most likely will send letters as they some of them are already doing it. Okay. Um, but um, the negotiating part, I think, is not in the a purview or in uh, an option available to the to the borrowers. The lenders would have specified these terms, and we have signed off on those already. So I don't think there's a there's an opportunity to negotiate there. That's my understanding. Um, I guess there's no way of saying how much the increase would be. It would be a percentage in some. Like, how much are we talking about here? How much could we potentially see mortgage payments increasing month over month? Some estimates are that it could be twenty percent or more uh, wow. on a month. So that would be substantial. Um, and then we are not yet done, um, many believe, with the increasing increase in uh, mortgage rates. Um, many believe that there could be another 50 basis point increase mm-hmm. in the base rates and answer mortgage rates by mid-2023, which means that it wouldn't be just 50% of the variable rate mortgages with fixed payments. It could be as high as 75% of the variable rate mortgages with fixed payments that would hit the trigger rate. So um, it could be a substantial uh, shock, uh, a cash flow challenge to some. And the question about who will suffer more or less um, depends upon at what rate you negotiated your mortgage. Um, And the lower the original mortgage rate and um, the higher your chances are that you will hit the trigger rate sooner than later. And we talk about, you know, half of variable rate mortgages have already hit that trigger rate. That's a lot of people. I was really surprised to read, doctor, that about a third of Canadian mortgages are variable rate. And they've been popular right up until earlier this year. A lot of people were still locking in, well, not locking in, but taking on a variable rate mortgage as early as this year. There's still, you know, a lot of Canadians are carrying these, right? Yes, so probably one-third of the mortgages are variable rate, but I think only 13% of those um, uh, mortgages are with the fixed uh, mortgage payment. So, um, so, and there's, there are other things that people can do. I mean, um, before the bank increases your monthly mortgage payment or sends you a letter, um, you may want to go and if you have savings, you can... Um, negotiate um, a lump sum payment to lower the balance or the the principal you owe, which would then um, change the equation um, where the interest plus principal would still come out of the mortgage payments that you were making. So so there are some options available. And one of those, if you have savings, is to pay down the principal. What does this mean for the housing market overall? I mean, this is this is the whole goal is to try and slow down uh, the housing market. That's part of it. I mean, what what do you anticipate as these rates go up and mortgages cost more? I mean, obviously, it's going to have a downward pressure, right? Yeah, I think the um, so you have to really think through it. You have to see what could happen if it means that people may not be able to carry their mortgages and may have to sell their homes. 
um, then those would be distressed sales, which would further bring the average prices down. Um, so it, that's the impact that one could see on the um, uh, housing market. Um, but at the same time, given what I understand um, about those who have ended up buying homes, the overwhelming majority of people have other assets and other savings that they can mobilize to preempt a distressed sale and and live through the the tougher times in the um, in 2023 with the expected decline in in all rates starting in 2024 uh, as a result mortgage rates would be coming down so one could expect 2023 to be a little tough for Canadians mm-hmm. Um, but also, um, there is some discretionary spending that people can move. I mean, it's not written in stone that you have to go for a vacation to Cuba or Mexico every year. Maybe save that ten, fifteen thousand dollars in vacation and other, and put it in your housing um, to preempt or prevent any any worse or adverse outcome. Yeah, and I think those are the choices a lot of Canadians are looking at. Uh, Doctor Hyder, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate you being here. We've talked about it before, sextortion, right? It it continues to just, it's a huge problem. And more and more and more young people continue to fall victim to ruthless predators online. You might remember this summer, um, probably uh, the most high-profile case that we've heard of, certainly in our country, a Dutch man sentenced to 13 years in jail for victimizing uh, BC teenager Amanda Todd in that case. Amanda was extorted to the point she saw no way out and she ended up taking her own life in 2012. Um, that tragic case, just one of many though. Many, many, many of these cases happen every day. Global News in Calgary recently spent some time uh, focused on this issue and you'll be able to see it this weekend uh, in the new reality featuring Global Calgary anchor Dallas Flexhog. Uh, she worked with producer Krisha Collier on this feature and Krisha joins us now. Uh, Krisha, thanks so much for being here. I appreciate your time. Oh, thank you for having me. It's such a big problem. Let's just define exactly what it is that we're talking about here. Sextortion, we hear it. What exactly does it mean? Well, sextortion is is like a form of online blackmail where criminals deceive children and teens through various digital platforms to obtain explicit images. Victims are then extorted for money and more material. And basically it starts, you know, uh, they run into people online and it usually is pictures, right? They, they send them a picture. Now they've got the picture and it's like, well, do this, do this, do this. And, and it just goes from there because now they've got these pictures and they threaten to basically ruin their lives. Yeah, 100%. And it basically it's not just pictures. It's also videos. I mean, oftentimes uh, predators will, you know, reach out to them on social media and then have them go to private chats, ask, you know, engage, ask for a private video or pictures, and then immediately turn around for money. Um, and boys are being particularly targeted for this type of crime, especially ages between 14 and 17, usually because, you know, experts say it's because uh, boys are a little bit more likely to engage um, in sexual uh, discussions quicker, uh, especially when they believe the person is sexually interested in them. So it's boys primarily that are being targeted right now, but like the vast majority, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. It's, it, you know, uh, we spoke with uh, an expert from CyberTip.ca, who's Canada's tash, national tip line, and they were saying that ninety percent of the calls that are coming into their into their tip line is from boys. Ninety percent. Yeah. Um. 
like like I said, you spend time with the police units that are focused on this and trying to fight this, and I imagine it's a huge battle. Uh, how do they do it? What are they, what are they working on? Well, we spent some time with the Southern Alberta Internet Child Exploitation Unit, um, ICE for short. Um, and essentially, this particular unit, they have a forensic mobile uh, lab. It's it's an unassuming truck that they take on scene with them. And not all ICE units have this type of technology. So they're able to go on site when they do a search warrant um, and bring the evidence out to their out to this truck and, and crack it over it open and essentially put the pieces of the puzzle together quicker. Um, it's, it's, it's an invaluable tool to fight this crime. Is it overwhelming though? I imagine it is. If you're a police officer, I mean, it, you could probably deal with a million cases a day and still not catch up. Oh, it's, you know, as one police officer told us, it's like shoveling water. They're yeah. inundated. Yeah. Like you're never going to arrest their way out of this problem. And I think education is a really big tool that they're trying to have the public understand is like have conversations with your children, have conversations, um, you know, with other parents. You know, we spoke to one who whose child was sextorted and she really wanted to tell the story because she's worried that other parents could fall victim just like her own child. Yeah, and that's just terrifying. Is it for any parent? That's a terrifying thought. You know, we mentioned that it's overwhelmingly boys uh, right now that are reporting this, but that doesn't mean girls are immune, right? They're targeted too. Yeah, absolutely. And usually, the the predators in this case are uh, are people who are sexually interested in them, so they are more targeted for more content. They're blackmailed for more content. And it's the same procedure, right? You start with the content and then it just extends from there and, and before you yeah. know it, you feel trapped, right? So like you say, I think the most important thing is talk to your kids. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And also just keep an eye on their behavior. If they notice anything, you know, one of the, the police said to us, you know, if you're starting to see a little bit of changes, maybe ha- reach out, have that conversation. And also make sure, you know, especially if your kid is young um one of the victims we spoke to is was nine years old oh my goodness. Uh, her, we spoke to his mom and she was nine years old so you know just make sure that who they're talking to and what kind of parental controls are on these particular devices yeah great great story uh, i look forward to seeing it this weekend thanks so much The fiscal update that came from the province, lots of, you know, uh, big words thrown around, lots of numbers, all kinds of figures. But basically what it boils down to at the end of the day is we're still doing really, really well in this province in terms of revenues versus expenditures. The surplus forecasted now to be $12.3 billion. If you go back just to August, it was under $1 billion. It was about $500 million. And you go back about a year or so. It was a deficit of about a half a billion dollars. And then oil took off, right, uh, in February when Ukraine in, uh, was invaded by Russia. And there's other factors, but that's the big one. So it was forecast in the last update to be 13.2. It's been revised slightly down about a billion dollars to 12.3. So as I state, still a very, very sizable surplus, but a little bit smaller. So let's go through the details of the announcement yesterday with Charles St. Arnaud, a chief economist with Alberta Central and the credit unions of Alberta. Charles, thank you for your time. I appreciate being here today. Good morning, Shane. So we're still, I mean, this is a massive surplus by any rec, uh, you know way of measuring it. $12.3 billion. That's a big, big surplus. Yes, it is. But we all know where it comes from. It's really boils down to, uh, as you mentioned, it's a booming oil sectors where uh, oil revenues are reaching records. 
Well, exactly. I mean, they're, they're off a little bit from the records, and I think that's why we saw it go from 13.2. But, I mean, we're, we're still seeing very, very high prices. Now, the forecast for this budget, or not this budget, but this fiscal update, um, Travis Tave saying, we're expecting oil to be about $81.5 a barrel. And if it is, we're going to be okay. Do you think that's a reasonable expectation to have? Well, there are risks on both sides on that forecast. Is that uh, Obviously, we know with kind of the global context, there is a risk of recession in Europe, in in the U.S., so could that drive uh, oil prices lower than that forecast? It's a possibility. There could be further disruption. We've seen earlier this year with uh, the invasion of Ukraine by uh, Russia that uh, oil is sensitive to uh, to those supply uh, changes. So it, it could be on both sides. Is that sort of trying to hit the middle, the eighty-one fifty a barrel? Is that sort of, you know, we're being as cautious as we can, or do you think it's a little bit risky? Well, we're trying to be kind of in, on the middle ground. I don't, yeah. I don't see it as overly optimistic okay. or overly pessimistic. Good to hear. Um, in terms of what they're doing with this surplus, uh, the plan is to put a lot of it into debt repayment, um, reducing debt by $13.3 billion to uh, just under $80 billion at the end of the fiscal year next March. Um, is that uh, a plan that you approve of, paying down of debt? Is that something we should be focused on right now? Well, that's a decision that this government has made, mainly based on the kind of the, the idea that, well, Better to reduce our debt, so we have to reduce our uh, cost of servicing that debt, especially in the context where interest rates are now higher than they were in the past. So that cost is is higher. So that's that's a decision they made. Then the question is, when will that be? Will there be some more efficient way of using it? And it's there could be a case for maybe we should think more uh, like. But I think more about our long-term prospect uh, in the province and how can we help uh, our province grow mm-hmm. for the next decade or so. The other uh, reason that the deficit is slightly smaller is there was some new spending announced this week, $2.5 billion roughly for inflation relief, and we anticipate there's more. There's been more money parked as well. Um, if you're the government, it's pretty tough to avoid that kind of spending with the situation that we're in. There, There is necessary spending when you're a government on an emergency basis sometimes. Yeah, well, it's clear. And it's also it's, it, it, the general population has been asking, and you look at any polls, uh, inflation is probably the number one priority, the number one issues for most Albertans. So it, it makes sense for the government to try to address that. How, you know, one of the questions that was asked of the finance minister following uh, the announcement was, you know, what was so much uncertainty out there? Everything can get derailed in an instant. I mean, but he seems to think that Alberta's economy is probably like you were talking about a global recession. We're in we're in a different position here in Alberta and we might be almost recession proof. Is it a different environment here in Alberta than what other places might be seeing? Well, I would be a bit more cautious than the uh, finance minister. For example, I find when you look at the budget, expectations for growth for next year are above what you're seeing from the private sector forecast. The private forecast for next year growth are about 2% or so. The budget is at almost 3%. So it's kind of, uh, it, it might be a bit optimistic. And as much as, we know there'll most likely be a recession in Canada next year. Alberta will probably do fare better 
partly because we have the uh, the tailwind from higher oil prices, but doesn't necessarily make us uh, uh, recession proof. We have our own vulnerability in the province that could uh, uh, bring us into a recession. Um, what about revenue outside of straight-up resource revenue? Uh, talking about taxes going up because the economy is doing well. I mean, uh, but like you say, with a recession looming, that could also affect the bottom line, right? Yeah, well, our personal income tax, corporate income tax are are, are doing well because we've seen uh, the economy growing and we're yeah. now finally back above uh, the peak in terms of economic activity that we had in 2014. So obviously our tax base has grown over the, um, is now bigger. So that helps on that front. But as you mentioned, if we have an economic slow, slowdown, we'll see uh, some of those tax, uh, uh, those tax, uh, those tax revenues being held back. And we'll wait and see where we go from here, Charles. Thank you, as always, for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening today. To hear any of our other interviews, you can find them wherever you find your favorite podcast. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate and review us. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. <laughs> and Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.